Welcome to Tilt Talk Radio. <clears throat> Today we're going to talk managing your higher residue with higher yields. In our spotlight, we'll take a look at New Holland's new autonomous bailing technology. Ag History Minute, we're talking Jethro Tull and the seed drill, so not the band. Cool beans, that's corny. We'll have some current events and we'll wrap things up with a field good Friday. With me today are Bill Schomburg. Hey guys. Todd Schomburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. So here we are. The This week we hired for the Packers a new defensive coordinator, and everyone's super excited. Maybe. <laughs> kind of. You can't make people happy, can you? No. No one's ever happy. They were mad because LaFer's like, oh, I'm going to take my time in deciding whether to keep Barry or not. Like, oh, I'm just going to see what happens. And then two days later, he's canned. And then takes a week to hire a new guy, and it's a guy nobody's ever heard of. And immediately he must not know football because no one's ever heard of him, right? I at first thought it was the dad from the Diary of a Wimpy Kid, but that's Hefley. Uh, this is Jeff Hathley, I think it's how you pronounce it. That's the that's the hard part. Even that, I don't even know how to pronounce his last Hayfley, name. Hefley, Hefley, yeah. I don't know. We'll f- we'll find out really yeah. quick. I'm sure there's a Twitter account fire Jeff Hathley already started. So whether he's good or bad, we'll find out. It. I'm just excited that. Because we we know nothing about like we don't maybe he's a really good coach he he has had coaching experience obviously in the yeah, college right. so that's awesome and it's going to be better than Joe ba- we we needed a change from Joe Barry so yeah. yes could you have changed and it be way worse maybe and Matt Lafleur was kind of a nobody when we hired him I mean he was yeah. on other coaching staffs and had that really dweeby looking picture from when he was on the the Forty Nine ers staff right. I think it was like yeah. he was twelve right. So maybe he knows something we don't. And there was news out that this guy was like LaFleur's buddy again. Okay. But then I also heard news now that they ha- they didn't really have a personal relationship before this. So yeah. it's kind of back and forth. It just seems like a lot of people, yeah, always want to say their peace of mind, right, when something happens like this. And we aren't going to know how good he is until the playoffs of next year if we make the playoffs. Well, and did I see something that he was like a linebacker's coach before he went to his head coaching job? He had like three different assistant jobs in the NFL. Yeah, I think so it was more um, defensive backs. Okay. Because yeah, so Richard Sherman made some comment about him. So it's not like he has no NFL experience either. It's not like he pulled some guy from college that's never worked in the NFL. So that right. hopefully is a good thing. What kind of coach is this guy, Bill? What do you, have you heard of that? Like, the, o- the only thing I saw right away was a, a screenshot of a PowerPoint presentation he presented. I don't know if it was like to like a, some coaches or the players like the first day or something of Boston College, but it was basically like he's a press guy. So like you got to get up on the line, press him, and then he gave his reasons why, like get your receiver off his spot, you know, just different things. I forgot the other ones. But basically, Barry was like, let's slowly bleed and hope that eventually they make a mistake and then, you know, we cover up our bleeding. In reality, we all watched it at the end of the Niner game where it was, you know, we just slowly bled out and then lost it where it seems like this guy's the opposite of like, in your face, 
you know, those kinds of things and put pressure on. Because yeah, what's crazy is we saw that, right? As soon as Purdy got pressured, he, oh, yeah, he, he melted. Terrible. So anyhow, we'll see if it translates. I'll be curious if the narrative of, because he was at Boston College, and as soon as he got hired, it, there was some comments about he had said that he wanted to get back in the NFL because he was sick and tired of the way college football is going with the NIL, and basically you have to recruit. Not only do you have to recruit new players, right, but you have to make sure you keep your old, your yeah, that's cur- current true. ones. College, you're not coaches anymore. You're recruiters. Right. So he's like, I want to coach If he wants football. a coach, defense coordinator for the Green Bay Packers is a great place right. to just coach. And so if I remember right, great. it's kind of why Saban quit. Sure. Alabama too. Like, I wonder if this is just like that's got to get exhausted. Like, th- think of how hard it was just to recruit new guys. Now you got to try to keep all your existing guys always happy, and when you have playing time involved, it doesn't work. Right. So that I, yeah, like you say, in college ranks, it, it's going to be different. Way different tangent on that, but I just wonder if like this is if this keeps happening, like something's yeah. going to happen with college football where. We should it's definitely pay college players, though. That'll make them happy. <clears throat> Won't cause any issues. No. It'll just make them want more. Right. They want more money or be mad because someone's paid more than they are. And that works out in the NFL all the time, right? It does. Super Bowl is set. <clears throat> the toilet bowl, what? Yeah. Niners, KC, but no Swifties. Well, maybe there'll be some Swifties there, but Taylor herself won't be there. They said she's got a tour in Japan or something. I, I've heard she'll make it. I heard that too, man. Like, like, like oh, yeah, I heard will, she was not coming. She, yeah. with the with the time changes and private jets, she will be there. That she will be there. What, she's kind of got so. the money to be able to do that. Right. Yeah. It's not like waiting for a commercial at O'Hare or something like we did. Right. Are you excited for the Super Bowl? Is it like meh? Meh. Meh. Hoping the commercials are good, but even that, the last couple of years, it's been hard to find the yeah. the diamonds in the rough when it comes to that. Apparently, Miller Lite's got one with, um, ah, what's his name? It's a comedian. He was Marine. Uh, he hosted that mini golf show. Um, ah, I can't think of his name. Don't but, know, but it's him running like bare chested with Miller Lite painted on. I'm his. thinking of Rob Riggle, but yes, Rob, Rob Riggle was yep. a Marine. Oh yeah, yeah, he was a Marine. Because hmm. like, yeah, I remember like in the U.S. military Marine. Yes, in the U.S. Wow. Yeah, he's got some campaign for Miller Lite uh, wow. for the Super Bowl because all I see is this ad of yeah him running. How many are going to be leaked before the Super Bowl? Oh. Don't they leak them all now? Le- yeah, pretty much. Yeah. That's. But yeah, he's got. It's like him with a painted chest for Miller nice. Lite. Nice. So yeah, hopefully there's some good commercials. Hopefully it's a good game. Like, <clears throat> I don't know. I I don't know what to think of the Niners because even against the Lions, they kind of did the same thing they did against us, where right. they sucked for three quarters and then came back at the end. So is that going to be? The whole thing again this time. It's going to be the twenty-eight to three comeback, like New England did that time against the Falcons. And it does feel like no <clears> lead <throat> is safe anymore, and you just got to keep right. Like it's almost like 
you get up to those leads and it gets in your head and makes makes it worse than the other team's got nothing to lose anymore at that point because they feel like they already lost. So right, they're just going to go just, for everything. Yeah, yeah, you just play. Yeah, it's and then everybody second guesses every decision every coach makes. It's fun. Casey's, well, I like farming. Yeah, Casey's Everybody's defense is playing well though. That defense is very good, you like know, way to, better than I thought. To hold the Ravens to what they did was pretty good. The Ravens also didn't run the ball like yeah, at all, which they was were, just silly. They were saying like all the games that they had like twenty plus like rushes, and that AFC Championship they ran six times. Like what? Yeah. Like right. if I was a Raven fan, I'd be like, where did what we, was the game? Yeah, plan like. At? You immediately had to throw the ball like they just totally and there it was fourteen to seven forever. Like it wasn't right, it like, wasn't like it was a three a score game. Yeah. It wasn't or like it was had to catch up. You know, yeah. like Dallas was trying to catch up to us. Yeah, I don't know. It's all in the script, Bill. It is. It is. It's scripted. It's like next year because it's in New Orleans. They have Ooh. they showed the the logo or whatever. And I saw which colors are in it. Yeah, There's yeah. It's the, it. it was the Saints and Jet Jets. No, yeah, I forget what color green it was. But yeah, it was like the Saints and some other team. I can't remember who, what the tweet that I saw. Well, I this had. year it's already debunked. Oh, hey, I came up with a thing. I don't know. Maybe somebody else already came up with it. But oh. now because it's X instead of a tweet, I figured out what you can call it. Yeah, what do you call it? It's oh an excerpt. Excerpt? Ooh, yeah, I yeah. like that. Instead of a tweet. You better excerpt Elon and yeah. tell him what can you, you got. Yeah, can you tweet at Elon your excerpt? I, I should, yes. Because he would, I'm sure, respond to some random person. How do you spell that? Excerpt? Yeah. And you're gonna start In, in my mind, X. it would just start with an X. Yeah. And then... Because it's E X P T, It's E X C E R P T. I think is the so. It'd just be X C E R P T. Yeah, yeah, that could work. Even though everyone still just calls them tweets. Yeah, I, I was, I was wondering that if if they change over from Twitter to X, what or they what just it, say formally. Formerly Twitter, right? Or like that. Which surprisingly, though, people more people now like. I feel like a month ago when you said X, people didn't even know what the heck you're talking about. And I feel like the shift's gone pretty quick, actually. But yeah, the it word... only took like a year. Well, true. Whatever. It's been, it's been a long time true. since they changed it to X. But like you say, Matt, what were they going to... I like your excerpt. Excerpt or just excerpt? Excerpt. Excerpt. Be, you have the P sound in there. Yeah, you got zerpt. <laughs> just zerpt. I like that. Yeah. But you need just the X part because it's... Just go zerpt. It's like xylophone. <laughs> it's silent X. All right, you guys ready to get into our topic for yep, today? Yeah, we are. We are. All right, so high corn yields, that's what everybody wants, right? But when we think about getting higher yields, do we think about the residue that comes with it? So obviously we know about dealing with corn residue. It's something that we have to look at in the fall and spring for a number of reasons. So 200 cor- bushel corn that, you know, 10 years ago, that was like, oh, yeah, if we can hit 200, we're going to be in, in the money. It'll be great. Um, if, if it's achievable. I think we hit it with some regularity now. Sometimes guys are disappointed when we don't, right? When right. we don't get that number. When you don't hit it. So now 300 bushel is the next 
goal, I guess, or 250, whatever it is, but the next frontier of goals for how many bushels. But we don't always think about how much residue that leaves. So I saw a talk recently with uh, that they covered kind of thinking about residue levels and how much residue you get with depending on the amount of grain yield you receive. So at 180 bushels, you're dealing with 3.9 tons of the acre of residue, which is a fair amount. You get to 250, you're at 5.5 tons. Almost double. Almost double. But you didn't double your yield. Right. And then we get hit 300, you're at 6.6 tons. And they're really the point to drive it home was if you look at Dave Hula and his record 624, 13.6 tons per acre of residue. So if we're shooting higher and higher, we're going to have more and more residue to manage. So is it trash or is it treasure? <laughs> you didn't say the T word. I know. You didn't say the T word. Are we talking yes. about trash whippers or row yes. cleaners or... It, the, even the word residue, though, like trash, obviously, is just garbage. Right. But residue, at the same time, that doesn't necessarily mean it's treasure either. That word, it's kind of a just a residual leftover from the previous year. And so it does still have like this idea that you have to deal with it. Can yeah. you say pain? I think there's a pain point with it, yeah. I mean, I think we see that in years where... <clears throat> You know, things aren't, aren't going right and, you know, you're, you have a lot of residue or you, you don't get a lot of degradation from whether it's decomp- decomposition's not going well or, you know, this year with the drier weather early that residue was not breaking down and it was staying in the field. So even though the corn rows were there, in some ways it can be a good thing because it, it might help suppress weeds. But if your corn's not emerging... And you've got that residue there that's holding moisture and keeping things wetter that might not be as good for the field because then you can't get back out there. So, an inoculum for diseases and right, other it can carry rates. disease. Yep. So the idea here, what they were talking about at this particular talk, so it was Fred Bulow and Dr. Connor Sibyl from Oh, you got the big guns, <clears throat> uh, University of Illinois Champaign Urbana. And so they're looking at, we all remember recycling when we were kids, right? The reduce, reuse, recycle campaign with the little triangle of arrows that kind of, it's it's like the infinity symbol, but not really the infinity symbol. It just kind of goes in a circle. That's always my favorite because some of the, like the reuse part one, like you're all starting to keep reusing like those type of plastic bottles. And yeah. like, you're not like yeah. the reuse one was just made me laugh. Cause I don't know how much, I mean, there's certain things you tried to reuse or fix or whatever. Farmers were great at that with the fixing part. Yep. But in the reduce one too, I mean, yeah, you, you do what you can to reduce it, but it was definitely the, the recycle move in that arrow was I feel like the biggest one. I feel like the reuse part is like you reuse it and then eventually you can't do anything else with it. Right. Like, then it so just then becomes hold, trash. Well, right. Like or kinda, you can hopefully recycle it at that point, maybe. Maybe, but. yeah. Well, and that's the trash or treasure argument is there's nutrients in that, the residue f- from the plant. So if you take it off the field, well, I, you're going to leave less nutrient right. in the field. So. A whole bunch of nutrients right. in there. Like, uh, 
like a lot. I mean, we know the difference between corn silage removal and corn grain removal. So you can pretty much do the equivalence here. That right, and know how much you're taking. Right. Yeah. So their reduce, reuse, recycle was reduce, was residue degradation, so trying to encourage so the re- breakdown. Yep. So just to reduce the, the amount there, right? Just right. the physical tons are there. Uh, reuse was the nutrient value of that residue, so trying to get it so that it's available for a crop, whether it's the next crop or the crop after um, whether it's or a cover crop taking it up and recycle was using that nutrient then in the system to hopefully help increase yield and make sure that you're not having to put excess fertilizer out because you're going to use what's already there. I, I think that's a big one is I don't want to say that Dave Hula is like 624 bushel corn begets 624 bushel corn, but if in that system you're pulling that much out and you don't return it back to the system in a way, you will not continue those good yields. So obviously that I think that's a very good, all, all this is a great analogy in that as we get to 300 bushel corn, you need all that in that system to get to 300 bushel corn again. So it's a, it's a very important to, to keep it. We could say, well, what if we just harvest all that residue in a way and take some of it away, well, then we're taking away what we just said we need there. So the biggest part of that cycle is probably the carbon that's in there. How do we break down that carbon into something that's usable? Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously, like you said, Todd, farmers are good at the whole reusing, recycle, fixing. So we want to be able to use what's there rather than have to buy something new to put out there. So what are the best management practices for residue? And obviously, like we said, if as you're increasing yield, you're going to have more residue. So how do you manage it? <clears throat> do, you, uh, do you like to jump in, Bill, what's your first, like I got one that comes to mind immediately that solves this, but what's your. Solves the residue problem? Yeah. I, Mine is. To, to like, to pick your brain, I, I don't know. But like, to me, it's like, we got to get it, soil contact and get it. Size right, chopped up right, I, and I, I'm going a little bit of a different like a off ramp here, but it's it's crop rotation immediately. It's crop sure, rotation. sure, sure. Like that's why we have a corn soybean rotation right in most of our corn soybean areas. I mean, the corn and soy, but guys like growing corn. The hardest part with growing corn and corn is the residue that you got to deal with and, and what it does. Now, I I think you grow this kind of corn, you could actually have that residue cropping up the year after is what well, like in your second year after beans potentially but you in in yes can beans get beans struggle can struggle a little bit in corn residue if it's really heavy but at the same time it can handle a lot better than a grass can so it seems like it can can get through it it can handle it a little better but that's where these are very important what matt's going to get into these strategies of how do you how do you manage it so that it's a benefit in the future. You're not a problem. The interesting part with this reduce, 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 reuse, recycle equation here is the last one. He said recycle, and then they put increased yield. Like that's a like when we talk about residue, it's kind of the last thing we think about is it's actually going to increase yield, right? Like we always think about the negative things of what we just talked about of. More soil, you know, wetter soils, colder soils, harder to plant, planter issues, like with all that residue. 
Um, but what do you what do you think a cover crop really is? Right, exactly. It's yeah. residue. residue, right? So and there's yeah, the, I, the benefit of potential weed suppression when you have like if you can get it in the right places, it can help manage weeds and keep that next crop not only feeding it hopefully by breaking down, but also keeping those moisture thieves and nutrient thieves kind of at bay a little bit. It's also one of your pillars for uh, regenerative egg. Yeah, would yep. be the armor pillar. So like, oh yeah, you know that that as well as it's going to help a lot. Just having that that armor part, and that's not something we talk about in the soil health realm. Of yeah, three hundred bushel corn potentially is going to be healthier. So especially if you're growing that much, it's got to be pretty healthy, I would guess. And you're going to have more residue and theoretically more soil health. I just that. think the stigma of residue isn't the same as cover crops, right? We don't oh, no. We think cover crops, right. we think healthy soil growing green or residue. It's dead plant material. It's get it in the soil. It's well, yeah, break why, it down, get rid of it. Why they call it trash. Like guys Correct. think of it as trash. Right. It's kind of that, you know, it, it, in my mind, the way that some people look at manure too, it's like, oh, I got to get rid of this. It's like, no, it's really valuable fertilizer if you use it right. So yep. you, you can't just dismiss it and treat it like it's waste. You have to use it properly and manage it. And residue is kind of that same way, even though it is dead. Um, so yeah, Bill, you hit on the first one I had was sizing residue. So getting out there, um, whether it's, you know, we have corn chopping heads, we have uh, guys with VTs that'll go through and kind of make it run across afterwards, but getting the residue smaller, hopefully making it break down easier instead of having a big chunk out there, which takes longer to break down. So kind of making it a more manageable product is probably the <clears throat> the first step of, and w- one of the more common steps, I guess now, especially if we see more and more um, combines with those corn chopping heads or some sort of residue manager in the combine. Um, burying residue, you also mentioned soil contact. So uh, if you're using tillage, you can take that residue and bury it and then hopefully get it to break down and, and become available in the in the soil. If you're not doing tillage, if you're trying to do minimum till, no-till, or strip-till, um, you know, strip-till bar, you're still getting some incorporation, just not across the entire field. Um, and that's where that kind of VT pass can come in and just breaking it up and hopefully getting it size smaller so that even though <clears throat> we're not getting as much soil contact, we're still getting some and getting it to break down. Um, Todd, you mentioned soil health. So having a soil health system and better biology in the soil is going to help break down. We've seen it, um, you know, the earthworms pulling that dead residue into the ground and doing that incorporation for you. Um, can be a very valuable and just I, that's a good point of this is what do we try and achieve in soil health yeah we talk about chemistry we talk about some of the other components the physical components of so but the biggest part is biology we're yeah. talking about soil health and obviously what's breaking this residue down is biology so the the more biologically active soil you have the more this is going to break down and you don't have a problem. And I, I, we've all seen that, especially in the fall when we're soil sampling on corn grain fields and you're, you know, you just grab a couple of cores and you're like, man, this is, you just can tell that soil that's actively kind of breaking that down versus the soil that just is sort of dead and kind of can't do anything to, 
to break that residue down and it's just there. Or we've all been on even that no-till that's been, you know, no-till for multiple years and you can actually still see two-year-old corn stalks on it. And you go, you know, obviously no-till achieves a lot of good things that we see, but there's times too where you're like, man, that's, we also don't want that there. We want that to, to be able to cycle through. So, yeah. And I think too, when you think about biology this year, especially we saw it in, in a drier year, we still need that moisture component to kind of help True. keep that bio, biology moving and, and That's breaking That's one actually down. I didn't even think of for this year, Matt, of we talk about the other parts of the drought and what it's going to do, but yeah, yeah there's I, some I residue. I would argue, guys, that moisture and temperature are more important than any of these other things that we've just talked about. Like if we don't have the moisture, those you know, the bugs aren't, the biology isn't doing what it's supposed to. Right. And, yep. and there's so many times that we go North and in our territories and we talk about how do we get rid of residue and, you know, it's, they're not, the corn's still out there at deer hunting. Like right. what residue breakdown well, is going to happen then? Well, right? and what's funny about that is you don't want it to happen. Then like we laugh about yeah. guys, like we want perfect standability and we want good late season harvest stock strength and all this yep so that we can harvest it in january and, but. and then immediately upon harvest we were like residue why don't you break down <laughs> yeah, go, what the heck you know like, point, it's, yeah, it's it's like this we, like you can't have bo- like we're breeding for the opposite thing correct that we're yeah. trying to we're, do in the we're fall. breeding for an extreme robust plant that'll stay in forever you but know then like break down as post. soon as you're done yeah right. but 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 you're gonna want to break down. so so I, you're right i Bill, could just see like event. like if you're listening, Matt, to Fred Bilo in Champagne, like what October fifteenth is like in Champagne, right, is completely to. different than what it is in Northern Wisconsin, where guys are doing more no-till because of the lighter ground and they want to keep soil and armor that soil and keep moisture, and they're complaining about breaking down residue. Well, they don't have a bat's chance in heck to to break get it, it down, break it right? down like, right. like the talk you're listening to because it's right. it's moisture and it's temperature. The, the, you you make a lot of good points, and one thing I was wondered why Wisconsin is the dairy state, and there's many reasons, but that's also one of them. Is look at what corn silage does is you don't have that residue to right. deal with, so it fits well in our northern system in that we don't have the long growing season to necessarily break it down. So again, that's a big, we're talking about a multi-piece puzzle, but that's maybe one of them that in this system works well. And it's also a detriment to soil health and soil armor, right? We don't have a long growing season to be able to, you know, to establish that. Right. It's just, it's this chasing of this tail that we keep doing and trying to start to wonder like in the, like North Dakota in that area that this has got to be, one of the more difficult things for them as well. We're a lot, you know, a lot of corn grain grown and yeah, you get into parts of say Minnesota and North Dakota where, where guys in Illinois aren't going to, they're not going to understand. They're going to be like, well, yeah, this is easy. What and are you guys talking about? I think it's for me as an agronomist, it's like one of my frustrations in talking with growers is like, there's so much ability now to just, you can get podcasts like obviously like we have, but other ones and TV shows and on the internet, the chats and just anything, right? You can get that from all over the country. And yeah, why can't we do it? You know, they they ask me like, well, why can't I do what that guy's doing? Well, he's in Missouri and you're 
you're in Cribbits. Like, right. Way different climate. It's great. But I, Cribbits is great, but it's not Missouri. Sorry. And there's just, there, you can't compare growing conditions equally. So the million-dollar plant breeder idea here is as soon as that ear leaves the plant, trigger some sort of right. biological <laughs> function that breaks down the stock. Yes. Yep. Just like pulling the pin yeah. on a grenade. Yeah. Like, I was thinking the yeah, cyanide pill type thing. <laughs> just like, there you go. They talked about the Terminator gene, like, right? The, yeah. Something like that. Um, so that brings us uh, to the, the newest kind of part of this system, which is the biological breakdown products. So you have these enzymes you can apply in the fall that are being sold to break down, you help break down your residue to jumpstart that biological aspect. So that jury's still a little bit out on that one as far as, you know, I've, I've known a few farms that have tried them um, to varying results, but the potential is there that maybe that'll be something that can help. But again, like Bill mentioned, we need that moisture, temperature aspect too to really get things going. So it's... We, we've talked about how hard biologicals are to do in studies just because... Right. It can because the weather can vary. So, like you say, man, I've seen some of these where certain growing season they work, and other ones where you're just and sometimes you're not even really sure it worked or didn't work. So that's what's actually hard about it as well. Yep. But in this, can we talk manure in the biological spot? Is yep, like, and that yeah. was yeah where like, I was going to go next with this is yeah manure is one of I'm, those biological agents that we know is uh, got a lot of biology to it. Right. And I think part of the manure part, what helps is you get that nitrogen with the carbon of the corn stover that can really work well together. That it's a, it's a very good synergy. Now, one of the problems is, is by the time we get to corn grain harvest, a lot of times, you know, our manure window is closing very quickly. So it's not, it's not as conducive, um, but maybe you plan on those for spring manure instead of fall manure. And a lot of times in spring, if, if you do it right, those can have good soil structure there yet that you can get on them in spring. Your, your window is a little tighter then for that to break down. But if you're going to do it in late November anyway, you didn't have a lot of window there either. So well, and you're also feeding the biology when the temperature is going, going up. up. Like right. we're going into summer, not coming out of summer. So you're given that biology that's just waking up, getting going, some immediate food, some immediate organic matter to start. I think you've just described farming in Wisconsin, tight windows. I yes. mean, it seems yeah. like everything we do is is a tight window. We, we want to get planted in a tight window. We want to... Yep. Yeah, and that's farming. Farming, farming in general right. is is tight windows that you got to capitalize on when you can. Yeah. So, um, and then I guess the last part of this is to bring it together is like combinations. It's not just one thing necessarily. There's multiple. You know, you can take multiple steps. So if you're putting out manure, you're probably doing some sort of incorporation. So you're doing some burying and sizing residue. Um, in a soil health system, you're hopefully trying to do low disturbance manure injection. So you're leaving that soil structure intact but still getting the benefit of the other ones so it's not like it's just a one one and done like oh i sized my residue i'm good or i buried my residue it's all good there's you almost kind of got to do them all though right to right have really good success like you need to stack stack these things stack successes and for those grain farmers who don't have manure and you know if they don't have a neighbor they can get it from maybe these biological products if they prove out as a potential use might be the that particular component for them is bringing in 
something to boost your existing biology. Uh, but yeah, it's not a not a one and done. It's in management. I think is the key, uh, and I think we've talked about this with a lot of different things. Is th- there's no necessarily easy button with this stuff. It's management. You have to management. You have to plan for it. Figure out what you're going to do, and find a system that works for your farm. I, I think this is great. As, as the Packers get their new Mr. Hayfley defensive coordinator, he's got to coordinate all those parts of the defense, right? So he's he's going to come in and look at his secondary, look at his linebackers, look at the line, and kind of try to put them all in the best part. And you got that whole thing. And this combination part's a good point, Matt, is like you got to look at – you can't just be like, oh, yeah, we we heavily till, and that's it. You know, it's like, well, maybe if you just tilled a little less, did X, Y, Z, other thing, you know, other strategies with it, it would work just as well, if not better. So I, I like what you're saying with the combinations part is – I think too often we look for silver bullet where it could be just like one thing. Right, the one and done, yeah. And say, oh, nope, I'm just going to get this biological project that that'll just break it down. Or I got this new type of corn head that it, you know, that it cuts the stalk in this way and so it breaks down quicker, which, again, that helps, but you, you got to look at the multiple tools to do it. Yep, take it from all angles. And because, like we talked about before, too, every year is a little bit different. You're, you know, if you're, Harvesting earlier, you have the maybe some better potential to get those right temperatures and moistures. Um, but in a dry year, you might have to introduce that manure to get moisture there to help improve the breakdown. So it's it's all kind of a a systems approach of managing your residue. So what blows me away is the only time we really do talk about residue is corn grain, like yep, soybean residue literally almost self-destruct like it's right. just gone and we you know guys that say leave their wheat straw in general too that i mean that's got a longer time usually out there and breaks down right but, wheat harvest is july you know, and august it's, it's so. early so probably the only other time we talk sort of residue is maybe like into a really tall rye planting green crop where you got all that rye residue to deal with so, so, but it's just odd to me that in our systems, we're lucky in a way that corn's the only crop that we have to deal with. Like, like think if right. all of them were like residue hogs that just you had to had to sort of deal with, and that's probably one of corn's biggest benefits is all the residue. And we've seen it in soil loss equations how much it helps. But it, like we said, it's just almost it's the biggest negative too that you got to. That's why we have crop rotation and do other yep. things to manage it. All right, so there you go. When you're looking for those bigger yields, remember, you're also going to have bigger accumulations of stover or residue behind that corn. So you have to think about how to manage it. Now we'll move into our spotlight for today. All right, so New Holland has launched an autonomous bailing technology and mobile app as they mark 50 years of Baylor innovation with a brand refresh. So no, it's not a Baylor that just goes out and bails everything for you that you don't even have to manage, but it does have a novel technology, the IntelliSense Bail Automation, which will reportedly transform the way customers and operators approach large square bailing by delivering an automated solution for farmers. So... This particular technology will help you stay on the wind row. It's got the smart steer swath guidance that will 
be your auto steer for automated navigation for the tractor and baler along the windrow. And IntelliCruise 2, which controls tractor speed responding to the variation in material feed rate into the baler. So if, as you hit those big chunks, it'll kind of automatically slow you down. And if things are thin, it'll speed you up. So the operator sets the number of slices per bale target and the maximum speed limit. So, so it's like a sonar. Kind of, yeah. And sonar. The, the, for I think a, it uses LiDAR, yeah. The, right. The picture, if you look at the picture, it shows, yeah, the waves coming out from the, the it unit. Can, so it can sense the size of the windrow ahead of it yep. and the windrows on either side of it. Do you think it'll pick up if there's rocks in your wheat straw or not? I don't know. Mm, they, I don't think they mentioned that, but I, yeah, I don't know. I'd be cool if it could sense when to drop the bale. So that would so be like... Like in a line? Yeah, so it'd be easier to pick up or more efficient to pick up versus just randomly. How many balers do you see with accumulators now? It seems like more and yeah. more. Because of that where you can yeah have way less to... Right, manage how they're, right. they're placed. Because that was always the worst. It did seem like it was like in the worst place when you had to go pick them up. Right. I feel like some... like. The round balers are kind of getting a fuzz more popular too than they are. They're they're making a comeback. Square. Yeah, yeah. They, they are making an odd come, which is which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. We seem I I don't just it's probably not when you think about size of bale and everything else, but they just seem quicker when they're going through and like dropping those bale. Like it seems like it's a fast the round baler. The round baler. Yeah. They have gotten better too, where you don't have, like remember how you, you'd have to stop and let it wrap. Some of them now can almost do that on the fly. I right. Think there's some of the newer ones. But yeah, the system it still beats small square bale. Oh, my Lord. Oh, yeah. Bill didn't have that advantage of like getting to when that big square baler showed up on the farm. That was a good day. But yeah. it was a learning curve of how to pick up all the bales and you'd. Right, right. Yeah, like. Yeah, you can just walk up to it. And right. It, like, and it yeah. wasn't like, yeah, it was just. You're driving all over the field, it felt like, but yeah, it was. Yeah, the system will be out in 2025, and their hope is to increase baling productivity, improve bale quality, reduce fuel consumption, and enhance operator comfort. So, making it easier for the driver. Now, we'll move into our spotlight for today. So we've all probably heard of Jethro Tull, the band, but do you know about Jethro Tull, the man? Nope. <clears throat> so Please tell us, man. <laughs> Jethro Tull, born in March of 1674, was an English agriculturist from Berkshire who helped bring about the British agricultural revolution in the 18th century. He perfected a horse-drawn seed drill in 1701 that automatically sowed seeds in neat rows and later developed a horse-drawn hoe. Tull's methods were adopted by many landowners and helped to provide the basis for modern agriculture. Tull made early advances in planting crops with his seed drill, mechanical cedar that sowed efficiently at the correct depth and spacing, and then covered the seed so it could grow. Before the introduction of the seed drill, the common practice was to plant seeds by broadcasting them across the ground by hand, on prepared soil, and then lightly harrowing the soil to bury the seeds to the correct depth. In his book, Horse Hoeing Husbandry, which he published in 1731, Tull described how 
Motivation for developing the seed drill arose from a conflict with his servants. He had struggled to enforce his new methods upon them, and in part because they resisted the threat to their position as laborers and their skill with the plow. So Tull invented machinery for the purpose of carrying out his systems of husbandry, his invention of the drill plow to sow wheat and turnip seeds in drills three rows at a time. There were two boxes for seed, and these, with the coulters, were placed one set behind the other so that the two sorts of seed might be sown at the same time. A harrow to cover the seed was attached behind. So when you think about the big box and little box on your, on your drill, this guy did it. Horse hoeing husbandry. Yeah. Horse hoeing Best husbandry. Book title ever. Like. <laughs> the Triple H. <laughs> it's not a wrestler. No. It's a book. It's a book. So yeah, I thought that was kind of neat. Very neat. You can find that book on Amazon for $19.27. Ooh. Yeah. There you go. I see Todd's birthday present. Yeah. Ooh. Talk to your wife. <laughs> he really wants this Triple H book. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Matt. And thank you to our listeners out there. Please subscribe to the podcast and tell a farmer friend. It's easy to do. All you do is search Tilt Talk Radio on Apple Podcasts. Or on your Android phone, you need to download an app like Podcast Addict. You can also listen on your smartphone or computer browser. Go to tiltheag.com slash podcasts. We're also available on Amazon Music. And you can follow us on Facebook and X at Tilth Talk Radio. And you can see Matt's excerpts on <laughs> X. All right. Thanks, Todd. Now let's do some cool beans. That's corny and some current events. So cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Our first cool bean or our cool beans this week is damned by data. A state destroyed a farmer's yield and ends up paying eight hundred and ten thousand in damages. So uh, Marvin Huin exposed some government neglect with a damning paper trail from two thousand nine to two thousand nineteen. He watched his bushels crash and land value plummet due to some bureaucratic dereliction. Ignoring a direct court order, the Indiana Department of Natural Resources swamped 407 crop acres, silted drain tile, and destroyed yields, placing all the blame on the farm. So risking financial ruin, he sued, backed by a roadmap of his precision data and yield history. In in a precedent-setting result, he won a huge $810,000 court judgment detailing DNR's culpability. So his land was affected by a dam that the DNR took over in, I think it was 2009. Trying to find the, yeah. In 2009, the DNR posted a notice at the dam that they were going to not manage it, so operate it open and closed unless uh, the lake level exceeded a certain Mark, so 804.35 feet. However, despite the sign on the dam saying they would do that, they used a different measure, which was 804.65, so it doesn't seem like a huge difference, but it was a drastic difference to the farmland. It meant an extra foot, uh, one foot, three and a half inches of additional water in the ditches and fields of that's a lot. Humans farm. It's yeah. crazy so to think that that, that little, little bit, bit of, uh, yep. 
I mean, it makes sense on the landscape and how water flows and right. all that. But wow, like I would have thought you just sure had to say more than just a little that little bit. Like I thought it would be a foot difference or a you know at least six inches, not a couple. So yeah, in 2015, following six years of requests by Hugh and DNR announced a reduction to the initially posted level of 804.35 feet uh, and blamed past increases on a clerical error that it was uh, supposed to be that other watermark, but they goofed up the sign. So, yeah, in his lawsuit then he was able to prove that they were causing him to lose yield and doing economic damage to his farm and led to this $810,000 settlement. So there you go. It took a long time, but he fought the law and he won. All right. That's corny this week. Agronomists worry moisture deficits will contribute to herbicide carryover. So you guys are agronomists. Are you worried? Yes. Yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) Among other things of... uh, Right, a lot of things of lack of moisture coming out of last year. So moisture plays a key role in breaking down herbicides present in soils and preventing carryover from impacting crops the following season. When dry soil conditions exi- uh, persist, carryover can become more of a concern. And so even if we get moisture this winter, uh, Megan Anderson with Iowa, Iowa State University as a field agronomist says she anticipates they'll have some herbicide carryover issues in central Iowa. Uh, more than 90% of Iowa is experiencing extreme dryness or drought, according to the U.S. Drought Monitor released January 25th. Plus, nearly one-third of the state is in extreme drought, or D3. So here in Wisconsin, we still have some patches of of drought, but we're not uh, nearly where we were this past winter. Iowa's in, in worse shape than we are, but there are areas of the state here um, that potentially... If they continue to stay dry, may see some issues. So, uh, especially looking at the the whole picture here on the drought monitor, the South. We talked about Louisiana. I think was that last week or two weeks ago. Uh, their drought down there, Arizona, New Mexico. There's quite a few areas that are experiencing some form of drought throughout the the U.S. So, first we couldn't get it to take effect and activate with the moisture. And right. Not, and now we may not be able to no, get rid of it. We're about it going away. Yes. Yeah. Just can't win. So can't win for losing. And finally, we'll do our Field Good Friday. And this week, we're talking about the family named Wisconsin's Outstanding Young Farmers, and that is Jacob and Jennifer Haywish. They were <clears throat> this year's winners of the Outstanding Young Farmer uh, they're from Fremont. They're honored during a program on uh, past Saturday in Wisconsin Rapids. So the Haywish, or Haywish family milks 140 cows, along with raising beef for direct marketing and doing some custom drag line manure application. They also plan to directly market their A2 milk in the future. So diversity is key in the world of dairy, in my mind, if we're going to grow as as far as cow numbers, we need to increase our profitability by doing many things to keep them viable, according to Haywish. So their farm installed a lot of drain tile and switched from conventional tillage to no-till five years ago, raising corn, beans, and wheat while utilizing cover crops. 
Other f- finalists were Abby Driscoll from Newton, Mitch and Mackenzie Kappelman from Manitowoc, Scott and Katie Cohn from Medford, Matt and Heather Rue from Whitewater, and Ryan and Lacey Went from Pound. So congratulations to the Haywishes. Yeah, that's awesome. I always love these awards, and it's it's a good way to you know to start your career in a way. Like obviously, they got a long way to go, but it's it's always cool to be. Yeah, it's always nice to be recognized, right? Yeah, right. And we need more young farmers, so we should recognize all the ones we do have. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, man. So this week we talked about higher yield, which means higher residue, and how to manage that residue. In our spotlight, we looked at New Holland's new autonomous baling technology. Egg History Minute, we talked to Jethro Tull and his seed drill. Cool beans this week was, despite some yield losses, a f- Indiana farmer was able to get a settlement from the state covering some of the damages. That's corny was... Potential lack of moisture may lead to herbicide carryover issues in 2024. And our Field Good Friday was Jennifer and Jacob Haywish being named Outstanding Young Farmers for Wisconsin. Thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.